Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hello everyone and welcome to British Murders, the podcast that focuses exclusively on British murder cases with an occasional glimpse at horror movies. I'm your host Stuart Blues and this is an off-season special episode. I have my good friend of the show Lorraine Purden this week. Welcome Lorraine. Hello. What we're going to do this week is we are going to do a true crime story, but Lorraine is going to be the storyteller. Normally, you'll know Lorraine from Once Upon a Nightmare, the horror slash true crime, and then back to horror, and then true crime in horror. She couldn't make her mind up. She's starting something new. This is a new project. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see the artwork, the name of the show, which she semi-stole from me. Uh, My husband came up with that. Come on. You said, is American murders free? And I said, you can have it. You don't? No, somebody already had it. That was me. I'd put it on everything, Instagram, Twitter, everything. No, this was on Spotify. No, that, no, that was my alter ego. So Lorraine's new venture is called American Murder Stories, a true crime podcast. This is murder stories, true crime murder stories from North, Central and South America. The clue is in the title. Do you want to tell us what made you jump into this new venture before we get going? Well, when I started Once Upon a Nightmare, I was going to do this true crime, but... I don't know. I just kind of chickened. I've been in, you know, I've been into true crime for so long, but I just thought, oh, there's, there's a lot of people out there doing it so well. And then I just thought that I just kind of, it's been playing on my mind for about six months, like properly playing on my mind. And I was like, then I just kind of just made the decision one day. And then I just spent five days just writing because my kid wasn't here. So I just got loads of stuff done and just went for it, really. May 4th. Yes. And you're also starting with three episodes similar to British Murders back in the day. Good call. Very good call. Binge-worthy episodes, I hope. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, um, I didn't really know much about two of them, so it was interesting doing it. Larry Eiler is the first one. Pedro Lopez is the second one. And Lewis Hastings from the McCarthy Massacre is the third one. And your release day is going to be Wednesdays, right? Weekly? Wednesdays, yeah. yeah. I'm going to Wednesdays. do Wednesdays. Yeah. Cool, cool. So this is, I'm giving this a stamp of approval already as the British Murders sister show, American Murder Stories with <laughs> Lorraine Pruden, friend of the show. But we are going to go into a story this week. It is an American one, but Lorraine's going to tell the story. Before we get there, we're going to break the ice a little bit, as we always do on British Murders. The first opening icebreaker segment is this. Welcome to Daddy Facts. Here is this week's Daddy Facts. Are you ready for this one? I've never read this to someone before. Oh, honoured. First time for everything. This says, the average golf ball has 336 dimples. Well, you know, I never knew that. It's good, that, isn't it? So if you're ever, like, stranded in the Amazon rainforest, remember that. <laughs> Survival. Survive. Like, Ray Mears is with you. That's what had happened with that. 
And what we're going to start doing as well, this is the first episode where I'm introducing a rehash of an old segment. So we've done the haiku stuff that we got from Rose Bundy's books. Those are now complete. So what I've started doing is writing my own haikus based on the case that's been discussed within the episode. So I have written one for today's case. Oh, fancy pants. We also have a new jingle, which sounds like this. Satsuji Haiku. And here is this week's first ever murderous haiku. This house is haunted. That is what they all believe. Really, though, it's me. Oh. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Good, that, isn't it? I think that's excellent. Thank Another you. clap for you. A smattering, as our friends at the Horror Project would say. A smattering. A smattering for the haiku. So, let's get down to business. Enough of this chit-chat. What have you got for me today? Okay, so today I'm going to tell the story of Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. He is a man who was convicted in 1975 for murdering six members of his family. And it took place at a very well-known house in America, 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York. So before they moved to this house, they lived in Brooklyn. He was born September 26, 1951, and he is the eldest of five children to Ronald Sr. and Louise. And he had the siblings were Dawn, Alison, Mark, and John Matthew. So they moved in 1965. He was about 14 at the time, and they went to the lovely little village of Amityville, which is a town of Babylon, Suffolk County in New York State. I thought I'd throw in a little bit of history because I know how you like to put in a little bit of history of the places, but I don't have as much as you. That's all right. I love a bit of history. A little a little sentence here and there. So the name was adopted in 1846 after a village meeting because it was originally called Huntington Southwest Neck. So they changed it to Amityville. And it was a very thriving village. It saw a rail service introduced in 1867 a bank in 1891, a library in 1907, and it was a very popular tourist spot and seeing the likes of Al Capone and Buffalo Bill mm, wow. would go there. But unfortunately, it's now known more for this than the once thriving town it once was. I don't know what it's like now, though, but this is just what it was like before. I think Amityville is a better name than that Huntington long mm. neck It's a bit thing, of a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit weirder. Mm. I don't know how they got from one to the other, though. It's not like a shortened no. version of the long neck. No, name. it's not. It's like nothing. I don't know. It's cool, though. I like the name. I like the name Amityville, too. So they decided to move there. She was actually expecting her fifth child when they moved there, and they wanted somewhere bigger. So they found this like beautiful Dutch colonial home that had the pool and the bathhouse that you do see in the movie. And it's very memorable because it's got those windows, you know, those kind of like path moon windows. And they're like triangles with a curved yeah. side, like yeah. an eye, aren't they, really? Yeah, like a, I think it's like a bit of a moon. Yeah, they are a bit weird anyway. Yeah. So basically, moving here was meant to be this fresh start, very positive vibes. They called the house High Hopes. So obviously, that would suggest something, but it wasn't exactly the nicest environment to grow up in. It was a very abusive home. The father was very angry a lot of the time. He was very controlling, verbally, physically abusive. And also, Butch then became this type of person as well first of all we have the father who is angry but then it looked like it was kind of turning 
it was more the father was becoming afraid of Butch. It was a very strange relationship because Butch would, like, he'd get angry. He threatened his father. One day he said he was going to kill him while pointing a shotgun at him and actually pulled the trigger, but the gun jammed. It didn't work. Jeez. They took him to psychiatrists who said, he will kill you one day. He was basically given whatever he wanted as well. So, you know, they were a quite wealthy family and, you know, he left school at 17. When he left school, he got given a car. Then he worked for his father. But when he worked for his father, he just showed up, but still got paid. He would steal money. He just, he got basically whatever he wanted because it looked like they were almost afraid of him. So they just gave him anything just to kind of like, hoping that that would keep him at peace. So that kind of shows how scared they were. And the father became very religious and had a shrine and was praying all the time. So I think it was quite a scary house to being. I think it's dangerous when a kid gets whatever they want, whenever they want it. It sets an awful precedent. Yeah, it it is. Because especially if they're really naughty, I suppose, I don't know, do you call a 17-year-old naughty? But like really... (laughs) Well, really destructive and stuff like that. Like he was doing drugs, like hardcore drugs, like heroin and drinking a lot and all that kind of stuff. But it was like what the time he pulled the gun on his dad. Now he was defending his mum, but okay. you know that th- he pulled the trigger. Quite a serious sign, isn't it? Like it shows hell of intent. Well, exactly. So if the gun hadn't jammed, his would he have killed his dad? Then would that have happened that day? And plus, where he worked in this car dealership he just he just never showed up and when he did he wouldn't really do anything but yet he still got his full pay like an adult brat yeah and like when you i don't know if you've watched any footage of him like he obviously like most people that are in this situation they chop and change stories and who they are and everything i mean there's so many stories related to this case it's ridiculous but he's a very aggressive person when you hear him talk and he sounds very angry but apparently when he was in prison he was very soft-spoken and very well liked and very well behaved you know so that kind of didn't match but especially when you see him in the earlier interviews I, I don't know he's just someone you're like and I know what he's done so you're not meant to like him but you're just like you oh he's just he's just not pleasant he's just not he's got a vibe about him that's really unpleasant but he did eventually meet someone And she got her pregnant. Now, they did get married. Her name was Geraldine. And they were basically, you've got her pregnant, you better marry her type thing. But there's also been a lot of controversy on where this actually happened. Now, she apparently has proof it did. But then she got pregnant, you mean? No, that they had had a kid, but that that they got married. Oh, okay. So there's this thing, they didn't get married, but she apparently has it that they did. Now, this was in 1974, but then she married him again in 1989 so that was obviously when he was in prison Hmm. so that was you know that's a bit weird so she she's not really much of the story but she did pop up with her own story of it which but she didn't want like any money or any fame for it so she's kind of like a bit of a strange character i don't really know what the deal is with her because you could imagine her wanting to kind of get it all out there you know to get a few pounds or whatever but she just doesn't but he met her very young and he did he did have a uh, have a kid with her but having a kid didn't make him into a better person if anything apparently his uh his behavior didn't improve at all yeah it doesn't sound like the kind of 
person who should be having a kid potentially based on what you've said no but you know i suppose these things happen she like they think she potentially was involved with it as well like she had to help him keep the kids quiet why he went and did what he did so there that that's kind of like one where it kind of starts that there's somebody else involved is her because the amount of people that they throw in this to be involved is ridiculous and i think people obviously they make up their own opinion of what uh what they think it is so after all the, the arguing and the father and son not getting on he again thinks that he's not getting enough so he wants more he doesn't earn enough money he's not being given enough money so he comes up with this plan to basically, can you bring this money to the bank? It was $10,000 and he pretended to get mugged. So he stole the money and obviously he started making up this yarn about what happened and the police kind of figured it out, but you know he didn't get done for it. So he basically got the money so that he could split it with his friend. Right. And the dad obviously lost his mind over this. He's like, what are you doing? And Butcher's response was, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Which seems to be the go-to, really, doesn't yeah. it, whenever he's not happy? So change the record, Ronald. Exactly. But you, what I found strange is when you watch this uh, documentary I watched with him, I think it was on Amazon, and he talks about how his dad was always there for him to bail him out. So he says they did argue, but it was made to look a lot worse than it actually was. But if he was saying, like, how do people know he did say these things? Did some, did the dad tell people that he was scared? You know what I mean? So. It's hearsay. Yeah, but that's the problem. They're, they're all gone. So a lot of this is, you know, coming from him. But he did also say that he was like really close to his siblings and his mother and they were a close family. And then he, it was like, and then this just kind of happened and it is what it is. There, you know, there's no real remorse for him or anything. So it's like the, the murders just happened and it's like, oh, well, <laughs> oops, you know, that type of attitude. Yeah. So on the 13th of November, this is when the murders would happen. So he killed them early in the morning. And I think what, so you don't find out kind of later that day what he's done. And what makes it worse is he killed them. Then he went and had a bath and he got dressed and he went out and, you know, he just went about his day and he kept on saying to people, Oh, I'm having real trouble getting hold of my parents. I've been calling and calling and no one's answering the phone and all this kind of thing. And then he really pushes it here. He then runs into a bar that evening to his friends and he's like, Oh my God, Oh my God, I've gone home. They've shot my parents. You know, I need people to help me. So he grabs a few friends, one of his main ones called Bobby, and brings them back to the house. Now, because they've been shot, obviously there's a few of them that are erring on the side of caution because they don't know what they're going to walk into. Bobby goes in because he's been to the house before. He knows the place. And then they go in and straight to the parents' room where they find the parents have been killed. And then they make their way, obviously, to the other rooms where they find the rest of them. And then the police are called to come and find out what it is. Now, when the police come, they think that this might be like a hit because there's a lot of involvement that Butch talks about a lot with the mafia, mainly the Genovese family and all the connections that they had within his mother's side of the family that were kind of there was this whole mob thing and this guy called, I think John Fellini, his name was. So they're worried about Butcher's safety now and they're thinking that he's going to potentially be killed because it's like 
why kill the or family and leave Butch? So obviously Butch is obviously the next one yeah. on the list. As this is all happening, obviously the police are asking questions and you can't remember all the lies you tell, especially when you're telling as many as this lad comes up with. And when he talks, he's very like, he's a very aggressive. When you think of an aggressive New Yorker, and that's, I love New York. It, he's just that like, and he's just not a very, as I said, pleasant person. And he just, they said to him, they're like, okay, so if you said that this happened kind of later on, but yet they're all in bed, they're all in their pajamas. Like that didn't make sense to them because he felt like if it had happened when he like said it would have happened. Because I think he says, oh, I left the house at six o'clock or something in the morning. Then they wouldn't have all been in bed in their So did pajamas. he say it happened like middle of the night then? No, he kind of gave the impression that it happened like after six o'clock basically. So morning and then, time. Yeah, okay. yeah. But that it happened like early morning time. So like he... He made out he wasn't there when it happened, but because of the time it did happen, they're like, "Well, you were there, right?" Because they would have been they would have been dressed, ready for the day, yeah, exactly. But they were all in their pajamas and stuff, like, and obviously looking like they'd all been asleep for the night, because they were apart from one of them, they were all kind of murdered while asleep. Okay. Now, as the story starts unfolding, he starts to change his story so he brings up this whole Fellini guy and he says that this guy basically dragged him from room to room as he shot them all so he's gone from saying I wasn't home but now Fellini has dragged him from room to room as he shot everybody but then he just started to cave and said that what he said once I started I just couldn't stop it went so fast so he admits it. Right. But apparently this was all because the cops beat him and made him sign this. So he's, he, he did say that he it was basically a forced confession. So he's gone from, I wasn't home, I found them, to a mobster led me around while the mobster shot them all. To... Yeah, with this, the, mob, the mobster had a, 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 someone with him as well. Okay. So three people. Mm. So yeah. I did it myself and I loved every minute to, but they told me to say that. The story will continue after these quick messages. And now back to the story. Yeah. So honestly, I was, <laughs> cause I've, I've seen quite a lot on this story, but it's, I think it's a lot with true crime. You, you know, you probably find it yourself is there's so many versions of what happened because the problem is you're relying on the version of people like him and they want to make the narrative not make them look as bad as they actually are so yeah he's he's changed his story multiple times and the dad was shot in the back and the mom she was like wrapped in this orange kind of blanket and had been shot he then went into Allison's bedroom shot her moved on to his brothers who were very young so I think Allison was 13 John was nine or something or the other one was nine but they were very young then after shooting one of the brothers he saw his foot twitching so I think he shot him again and then the sister Dawn who plays a big part in this if you're to believe Ronald she woke up to the noise what's happened and he was basically like oh it's fine it's fine go to bed and then he shot her in the back but 
He then also talks on about how she fought him for the rifle, and that's how she got shot. He also really, really tries to bring her in as basically the person responsible for this. So Dawn had a bit of a tough relationship with her father. I got the impression from the way he talks that the dad wanted them all to be at home, you know, even when they were old enough to leave. And she was seeing this fella and he was moving to Florida and she wanted to go and he said no and she wasn't having it. So she concocted this whole plan to basically kill the dad and it all went a bit wrong. If they just killed the dad and even the mum at the push, you know, she was meant to have been having affairs and all sorts, but she wasn't really doing anything to them because the dad was meant to be a bit of a dick. You could see a motive there, but I don't, the fact that he went upstairs and then killed all the others, to me, it's just, I'm not saying this is the case, but money, because he was, he was due to get a lot of money if all these people died. And then obviously if the other kids didn't, because he was so money hungry and he was addicted to drugs. But yeah, he, he massively put it on his sister Dawn as part of it. Could it have been he's killed his parents, mm. which again, no justification here, but based on what you've said, he's not a fan of his dad. He's already threatened to kill him. Mm. So he kills his dad, thinks, fuck it, while I'm here, I'll kill my mum. And then if we go on what he said about, I kept enjoying it, or whatever the quote was, that mm. I just kept doing it and enjoying it. And then he just thought, actually... Yeah, he just said he couldn't stop. Yeah, he couldn't stop. That was it. Yeah, and then he's just carried on because he's in the moment and thrilled, yeah, because I guess. there there is also which ties into the whole Amityville horror that you know the place is on a I think like an Indian burial ground and an angry <laughs> Indian was there and he he heard voices and all this kind of stuff and they got him to do it so that that was obviously bollocks and yeah that, a, another thing. But there was also like the, the the court case is it's it's just a absolute shitstorm. So he goes on trial for this. Then in the end, on October fourteenth, nineteen seventy five, which is about a year after the murders, and there was just so many people wanting this money. There was people saying that Dawn was involved, and there was proof on her nightdress. But then the nightdress mysteriously disappears. So there's all this. Yeah, it's it's just there's all this so stuff. A proof could be on a nightdress. Well, there's they're they're saying that there was gunpowder that suggests that she did shoot someone. Gunpowder from being shot in the back. Yeah, but there's yeah, but that's the thing. They're saying that no, she was part of it, and we've got proof because if when she fired this gun, the gunpowder shot back on. Because apparently, I I don't obviously know anything about guns, but on apparently, her hands though, it would be on her hands. I would have thought. If... They're saying it was on her nightdress as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So he goes on trial, but another thing what they found was a bit strange was the fact that nobody heard anything. Like there's, there was no screaming, no gunshots, no nothing. Now, screaming, I could get because they're all asleep. But the sound of a gunshot you think would wake other people apart from Dawn. Mm. And he didn't use a silencer. Yeah, I get that. It's obviously quite hard for us to empathize being Brits because we, apart from in the movies, I don't think I've heard a real gun go off ever. But if you're deep in, either. If you're deep in sleep... And you heard it like a click, let's say it's like a loud click or a bang. Because mm. it's a decent sized house. You'd probably wake up 
Like when you hear a noise outside, you don't wake up and go, "That was a so and so doing this." You wake up and mm. you're like, "Huh? What the hell? What was that?" Yeah. And then you might hear the second one and go, "The hell was that?" Mm. You'd hear it. You might not. It might take you a while to come round, especially if you're a kid. Like if you're a kid, like the like the boys, you're probably just going to cower. If you don't know what the noise is, I'm not saying they, they knew it was a gun. Maybe they did. But they probably just thought, oh my God, what the hell is that? I'm shit scared. Let's just get under the covers. Which for a kid is a natural reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Versus no, an no, adult I, I who agree. might get out of bed yeah. and, and investigate, for example. Which is what the sister apparently did. And which she was how old? Sense. 18. She, oh, right. So she was a, mm. what we yeah. would class as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. So the others, yeah, I think it was 13, 9 and 7 or something the other ages were. Yeah, so, so that, that yeah. kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah. So with the case, obviously, they wanted to go for the whole insanity route. I think that's probably why they you know, brought on this hearing voices. That was a big major thing. Obviously, they mentioned that the you know he was saying about the police beat it out of him, the sister, Fellini. Like, so there's all these... There's all these reasons as to why it happened and who did it and stuff like that. But I don't think any of it's ever really been him truly admitting it because anything I've seen of him, I'm not saying that this isn't the case. Someone may have seen a more later interview with him, but anything I've ever seen with him, it's always just been passing the buck. Like he was, he, you know, the most I've ever seen him really do is he was a bit involved in it with his sister. Right. Okay. Have they ever brought in this mysterious Fellini guy for questioning? Was he brought yeah, in? Yeah, the they time? did. Yeah, they did. And like he he was he was away. He was he was like in a different state or something. So he had an alibi. Okay. So he had an alibi, yeah. And hmm. um, you know, that he obviously tried to bring in the whole thing with the mob. Because at this time, this is this well, the seventies, it's you know, the New York, the mafia. Yeah. It was a you know, it was a big thing with the the five families, but he just, and he kept on saying things like, like this was, I watched an interview with him. He was 62 and he was saying about how other family members were trying to get him killed. They, they were making him sign over the money to him. And so like just so much is brought into this where to me, it simply seems this guy wanted more money and killed his family so he could get the inheritance. That's the story I think it is. I think it's that simple. But the stuff he brings in is ridiculous. Then <laughs> it's just like the story just gets crazier and crazier. So he's he's been convicted on all six counts for second degree murder. And he's got, uh, he's in Greenhaven Correctional Facility. Well, he is, but he was, but he died last year. But it wasn't long after when the Lutzes obviously moved in. They're the people that the film is based on. Mm-hmm. and they come up apparently with this whole story and he said that he was asked to sign a contract to go along with the story and he would get $800,000 for it. I'm assuming he did then. Apparently, I don't think he got the money. He he did agree to it because he wanted the money and the lawyer he had, because the lawyers kept chopping and changing and he ended up with this guy called Weber who hadn't done a murder case before and he was in on this and wanted the money and it just like the whole thing of getting the Amityville actual horror together just sounded like like the story of DeFeo himself. It was just a complete shitstorm and people saying this, that and the other, wanting this, that and the other. And at the end of the day, it all came down to money. 
Yeah. You know, they've got parapsychologists involved to go and look in and the Indian burial ground and this angry chief Indian guy. And, you know, it just like he even he even said at one point that the mob beat up one of the guys that was, you know, trying to do this with the house and stuff, you know, because it was just it was just all getting out of control. But then what happened? You've got this massive franchise that out of books and money. Like, because even when you watch the Amityville Horror, they, they at the start it shows it basically. It's, it doesn't. They doesn't show them doing it, but you you see gunshot and stuff like that. So they like this case really milks it, you know, for going into the Amityville Horror. And then these guys apparently made it all up. Well, that's what's interesting is that you can tell someone that and say, "Look, it's actually the Lutzers." I'm assuming they might not be with us anymore, but they mm. could come to you and say, "Look." We made it up. It's bollocks. Indian burial ground. How stereotypical. There's no blood or ooze coming out of the walls. It's a load of shit. But look how much money we made off of it. You could tell a believer that and they would go, nah, nah, it's haunted. It's haunted. Amityville, hauntings. He did it. He was possessed by the chief or whatever. Yeah, of course. When I first heard the actual true story behind this, I was like, oh, so it's not just a reportedly haunted location. It's just a guy killed his family and that's nothing to do with the actual Amityville horror. It's just the house that it happened in. And it's got a unique look, which I think they've changed now, haven't they? I think they've changed the windows yeah, on it Yeah, they now. changed the windows on it, yeah. yeah. But they had no reporting of any family that moved in. Apparently has said nothing, that yeah, they didn't have fine, any issues. Yeah. Very bizarre. It is. And he, like, I think he was only, he was going to get 22nd, 25 to life or something, but he did try and get out a few times, but he, they always turned him down. And I think he was like sixty nine or something when he when he died. That was last year, was it? When he yeah, died. Yeah. What did he die of? I actually googled that today, and they said that there's they they're not saying the reason, huh. unless somebody else knows. But I I I had a quick look today, and it didn't you know because he was sixty nine, which is still not that old. Like, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. if anyone knows, maybe the mob finally got to him. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, if anyone knows <laughs> how he died, then shoot us a message because we can't find out i think it's just such an interesting story like it's just so ridiculous like the more and more i listen to it like even last week listening to that documentary and i was like oh my god like it's just what you're supposed to believe none of it he shot his family as simple as that (laughs) it's interesting because it's almost like an unsolved murder case but it's actually an open and shut murder case so we know what happened but there's still an air of mystery around it as to why it happened, who actually committed it, even though it's pretty obvious who did it. Yeah. No one is alive apart from him until he passed away to tell that story. Yeah. So it's always been a murder mystery and then combine that with the nonsense to do with the paranormal stuff. This isn't poo-pooing paranormal as a whole. This is just in relation to this house. Complete load of bollocks. So say the people that made it up and anyone that's moved in since has been fine. It's just added that further layer to the mystery about this case. Because you could listen to five different people tell the same story and they'd all have their own view on it. Yeah, and that's that's just like what you said. Like the Lutzes could come out and about the house and be like, oh, it's all bullshit. And people are like, no, it's not. And I think that's the same with him. People are believe, which is fine. I mean, there's so many versions of it. I think... I mean, some of them I'm a bit like, hmm, like that. But the, the, like the whole thing with his sister and stuff, I don't personally believe that story, but it wouldn't be completely 
you know, like a shock if that was the case. But I don't, I don't think she was involved. You know, I think the most involvement with her was, yes, she didn't like her dad and she wanted to move and stuff like that. And they might have gotten to a bit of a tussle and stuff like that. But I don't think she, that's just my personal opinion. I think it was all him. And I think he did it simply for money because no matter how much money he got, it was just never enough. It was interesting when, uh, obviously, we both read Talking with Serial Killers mm. by Christopher Berardi, who I was lucky enough to speak to. Mm. He he fully believes that he did it. And that he's, you know, I think I can't remember if he was the worst, but he was one of the worst that he spoke to, just the rudest. I know when he walks in, doesn't he say, I've been waiting two hours for you. Yeah, I've where got, the fuck have you been or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got better yeah. things to do. So, You're in prison. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's the vibe you get. Because like... Sometimes you watch a documentary with a serial killer and you're like, oh my God, it's hard to picture that person doing that because he actually seemed quite nice. And then others, you're just like, I, I can't even look at you. And that's the same with him. It's just like, he's just. I think it's a control thing. It sounds like he, he has to be in control. And if he can assert some aggression and make you feel uncomfortable, the power shifts back to him. Because if you're late and he's waiting for you, he's not the one in power then. So as soon as you walk in, he has to try and shift that. Yeah. And he, he has to be the one talking and he has to be the one saying everything. And he has to be the one like when he talks about all these like mafia guys and he's saying all these things, it's like he almost thinks he's cool because he's got these stories mm. that he knows this stuff and this stuff happened. And I feel like if he was, I, I don't think he was because he's a white, you know, in, in the mob or anything. But he if he was, he would have been whacked ages ago <laughs> just to shut him up. <laughs> whacked. Got a contract on DeFeo Jr. Get him yeah. whacked. I want him sleeping with the fishes by dawn. <laughs> you want to take a dirt nap? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that's a cool story, though. Is there anything else further that you can tell me about it? Something I might not know? Any trivia? Any cool quotes from Mr. DeFeo Jr.? No, the only thing I have on him is the whole, you know, once I just started, I couldn't stop. That's pretty creepy. So I actually do have a quote for Ronald DeFeo Jr. He said, it was cold-blooded murder, period. No ghosts, no demons, just three people in which I was one. So even within that, where he's admitting it's not paranormal, he wasn't influenced by a, an Indian tribal chief, he's still saying he was not one of two, but one of three who committed those crimes. Well, the... I think it was the coroner said it was either the coroner or the people doing the scene, the forensics guys, they that someone said that basically, yeah, there was no way it was him on his own. They think they, they think they said three or four people. So that has been something that the officials have also said. I wonder if back then they could have established a time of death to the minute, you know, if it was like the mom died, say, at 3 a.m. The dad died at a minute past three. Makes sense. Walks downstairs, seven minutes past, he kills the first sister. Then he kills the other. Do you know what I mean? If it was close together, I wonder if it could be that minute back in the 70s. Maybe not. I don't know if they could do that, but I think it was very close together. I literally think he just went bang, bang, bang. Took, obviously, the parents. But what I'm first. saying is, as opposed to, like, at the same time, him and three guys, right, on my go, boom. Oh, I got you now. Yeah. Simultaneously. Yeah. There'd have been little minutes in between while they walked from room to room, wouldn't they? Yeah. So you, you've just got people involved saying, nope, 
there's no way there was anyone else there. You've got people saying, yes, there was. You've got people saying on the dress there was this. And then you've got, you know, it's just so many versions of it. And like you said, people believe what they want to believe. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. You can take from it what you want at the end of the day. It's not going to change anything. He, he, he didn't get out of prison. I mean, he's dead now, but he didn't get out of prison. So as far as they're concerned, it was him. And if you love the Amityville horror, you can still love the Amityville horror. Just know that it's a fictional story that happens to have taken place in an actual murder house. Yeah, like I, I love that film. I think it's a great film. Well, yeah, that was a, a good little story that I appreciate. It's one I'm interested in anyway, so it's a, a good one for me to hear. My listeners might have heard it. They might not have heard it, but regardless, you have a new show coming out, American Murder Stories, on May the 4th, next Wednesday, as of you here in this episode. Who are the, uh, the first three on, remind me? Larry Eiler, Pedro Lopez, and Lewis Hastings, who's the McCarthy Massacre. Cool. So yeah, look out for that. Make sure you like, subscribe, all that good stuff. I'm going to put a, a link tree. Hopefully Lorraine's made one by now. It's going to be in the episode description. I've only been asking her for about yep, 10 I years. I've got you, the list you sent me. <laughs> are you making a YouTube yet? Are you on there yet? I've, I've set everything up. I think I've set that up. But yeah, I'm going to maybe. Go surprise, surprise, subscribe <laughs> to uh, the surprising new show, American Murder <laughs> Stories. Any final words? No, but thanks for coming on. I enjoyed that. It was nice uh, chatting about it. Did you just say thanks for coming on? Did I say that? Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> and on that bombshell, I think it's time to say that's it for now. That's been Lorraine Perd and I've been Stuart Blues. Until next time. Cheerio. 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 <laughs>